Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. You're listening to Fashion Unzipped. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Charlie Gowns-Eglinton, Senior Fashion Editor at The Telegraph. With me in the studio today are Lisa Armstrong, our Head of Fashion, and Bethan Holt, our Fashion News and Features Director. You've got quite a weary bunch today because it is the end of London Fashion Week and we're about to head off to Milan. So this week's episode is a London Fashion Week special. We are fresh from the catwalks and ready to talk. So first up, what's everybody actually want to buy? Well, to be perfectly honest, pretty much all we saw were trends that we'd seen before, but... They were gorgeous. And hey, if it's good, it's worth revisiting twice. So I probably want to buy my fourth camel coat. Was Roxander's the best, did you think? Loved Roxander's. There were so many good coats. That was what was amazing about London. It, it sort of reeked of luxury. And, you know, whereas in the old days, if you could afford it, you'd sort of save up for a Max Mara coat. I feel you can get some pretty I mean J.W. Anderson's coats that balloon sleeved trench coat with the check trim was a J.W. Anderson a a Victoria Beckham beautiful coats um I I feel there were a lot of I can't engage my brain properly but I feel that I know I instinctively know (laughs) there were a lot of good coats well I want a party coat oh Christopher Kane Christopher Kane Simone Rocher beautiful velvet coats and Erdem of course brocade yes. coats yes. you don't need a party dress if you've got a party coat no, no. much better in our climate stick it over well. your nighty. some good shiny <laughs> Macs as well Oh, shiny Mac for you, Bethan. Yeah, yeah. So be careful with the PVC, though, Bethan. Yeah. It's not very ecological. No. Sorry. There did seem to be an emphasis on commercial fashion. Do you think this is a... Designers have finally realised they have to sell some clothes? Well, I don't think it's finally, in fairness to them. I think they've been pretty good at it for for a long time. And I think what what's what's... What's really good about London is that there is both. You know, there is the the beautiful grown-up pieces, more and more of that. And then there is, thank goodness, still young, raw talent coming through. But this was our last Fashion Week pre-Brexit. I mean, Mm -hmm. I imagine I wouldn't put it past them to push it back Mm -hmm. to 2020. But (laughs) (laughs) could we see... That on the catwalks or off the catwalks? What was the mood? The mood was strangely ebullient. I saw Roland Murray at a dinner last night and he said that he, uh, this is a French person speaking who'd lived here, who's lived here for 30 years, I guess. He said he thinks, I mean, obviously he, he, it wasn't his preferred choice. I don't think I'm giving away any secrets saying that, but he thinks it will be okay in the end. And he said that he was talking to somebody, a hedge funder who'd moved to Paris in 
not high dudgeon, but had moved to Paris because it seemed like the, the sort of the sensible thing to do last year, who was now considering coming back to London. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's um, it's going to be really tough for them. And all those who get their fabrics from the EU or manufacture in e- in the EU, it's... It's it's a headache, isn't it? There was there was a kind of a, a celebration of Britishness, and obviously you do see that quite often at, at London Fashion Week. But like for example, um, Molly Goddard's show was sponsored by the Great Britain campaign, and it, she held it in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, and it was there were lots of sort of nods to to British style, That's you know, really like the sort of argyle sweaters. The, the, yeah, the, what is the Great? British. Well, it's a sort of, um, it's literally the campaign that promotes Britain to the world. So so to encourage tourism? I think so, yeah. Come and see a Molly Goddard dress. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it makes Well, just celebrating the best of British creativity hmm. and, you know, and she had the sort of the Argyle um, knits and... You know, the Cardi's a, making a comeback. Exactly. Yeah, we love the Cardi. Lisa, I enjoyed, you noticed... um, a division in fashion into clothes for Maybots versus Corbinistas. Slightly tongue-in-cheek. But yes, I mean, at, at Margaret Howell, there were lots of Jezza kind of, um, what would we call them, his signature sartorial pieces like the flat cap and the rumple oversized jacket and the shirt, the sort of creased shirt. And I mean, there was a, there were a lot of those. And, and then, and then much more chicly done. I might, oh my I might God, say. it was beautiful. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was really, if you're a champagne at Corbinista and you've been worrying about how to channel your leader's sartorial look because it was all a bit yuck, <laughs> to use that technical <laughs> term, then, um, Look, look no further than Margaret Howell. You can look like Jeremy Corbyn, but in cashmere. And the Maybots, well, I mean, eat your heart out, Maybots, because Victoria Beckham took that, um, that very famous leopard print shoe of Theresa May and um, she kind of put some welly into it. Literally, she made it into sort of thigh-high boots with peak toes, just, you know, thigh-to-toe leopard print. I mean... I think she should rock that next time she goes to Brussels. And if any of her colleagues try to get handsy with her, they won't get near any skin (laughs) because it's all covered in leopard print. Just thinking as well, in the Victoria Beckham show, the pieces I adored were the the sort of the silk polka dot shirts with a kind of scarf foulard collar. Is that a bit Margaret Thatcher circa? Good point. Well, it's definitely, everything's very conservative, isn't it? Which I love. I mean midis, lots of layers, veils. Oh, God, I love those veils. The veil cats at Erdem, beautiful. Yeah. And Simone. It's your walk-around sort of diffuser, isn't it? You don't need to fiddle so with apps anymore. Very or... flattering if you're having, totally you know, flattering. a breakout or you want to hide that, any fine lines. You've had a little micro-needling. Not that you would <laughs> want to hide any fine lines because actually the wrinkle The wrinkle. Back. The wrinkle's back. The wrinkle's if it, back. Went, it didn't go away. <laughs> well, it did it's go cheap. away. If you look at some faces... <laughs> It's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's probably going to take a while never to, come to return back to those faces. But um, no, I loved the casting at Simone Russia. Wasn't that wonderful to see those um, so not just had... older women, but women luxuriating in their in the experience that was on their faces? I mean, Jenny Howarth, who was a big, big model in the eighties, 
um, was it Simone Rocha, and looks as though she hasn't done anything to her face. Um, Chloe Sevigny, much, well, she's 10 years, yeah, she's 44. But, you know, again, hasn't messed around with her face. Because I think, um, you know, there may be people out there thinking, oh, for God's sake, 44 isn't old. And we're not saying it's old, but what we are probably saying is that we've become rather used to seeing that very airbrushed Kim Kardashian look. And these women look like, human beings and it was a joy to behold and then in in new york we we saw christy turlington um at mark jacobs She's and 50. and then tony goodman who works at, uh, at who's a stylist a wonderful stylist um at american vogue she was at creatures of the wind it felt really good because two years ago we saw lots of older models on the on the runways and then it sort of disappeared and it was like, really? This it is just like a trend? tokenism, wasn't tokenism, it? Tokenism, last season's Simone trend. Simone Rocha, as well as having women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, she also had different body shapes and it's just so refreshing. And actually it's a great ad for her clothes yeah. because there were girls on the catwalk, women on the catwalk, you know, who weren't size 8, size 10. I, I just think it's having to think more intelligently about these things and actually when I, I did a, I interviewed Jocelyn Baudouin recently who started modelling aged 59 and is now sort of the face of uh, John Lewis and Partners and her model agency said to me, you know weirdly, if you, I mean Designers, are to- brands are so terrified of being seen to be old that they sort of perpetually use very, very young models. But in fact, if you use a, a model who really does look older, not 40, but sort of 60 or 70, it's a very good way of attracting people's attentions, even even 20-somethings, because they kind of look at the woman and think, she looks so cool. I think there's definitely been that movement, hasn't there, the last few years, which we've written about in lots of different ways of... Actually, you're so right. Now, you know, millennials and Gen Z, they they actually love a picture of a fabulous looking older woman. It's such a kind of positive, you know, it's no longer like, oh, my gosh, that's like my granny or something. It's like, I want to be like her when I grow up. That generation of women are do still look fabulous and yeah. they're not sort of sinking gently into any good nights. There's of, no elasticated waist. No, like, unless yeah. it's super fashionable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and actually we've got a piece running, haven't we, shortly about um, about this very subject. And um, I think there are some quotes from Dr. Marin Zamani, who's um, a really successful sort of plastic surgeon and Botox and Philomeister, and she says, you know, it's really not about having that completely um, the two sort of blank face. face now. It's there's lots of new techniques coming in for um, just sort of refreshing mm. your face. You just want to look really rested, don't you? You do. Not like you've had you loads of look, stuff. You want to look as though you've just been on a yoga <laughs> retreat, don't you? Now, so speaking of agelessness, do the toes age? Because if the toes are the new erogenous zone, VB's there. Yeah. Is that like the shoulder doesn't really age? I toe? think toes might not age. I mean, you might get a bunion, but she wasn't <laughs> highlighting the bunion. It was the tips of the toes. So you get a good pedicure, yeah. you're fine. Although this wasn't actually the talking point of VB. The talking no. point of VB was that Harper Beckham, age seven, has gotten a new haircut. And it happens to be Anna Wintour's signature haircut, the fringe bob. And she was sat next to Anna mm. at the show. I mean, I think the How talking convenient. point really was, was it staged? I mean, if it wasn't, then that is a real coincidence. I don't really believe in coincidences that thing. I mean, what it, what it shows really, I think, is that, uh, y- y- 
you can do the most fabulous collection <laughs> in the world, but if you get the right social media moment, that single image could probably get you more publicity than any of those looks in your collection, which is um, is probably not good news to someone who doesn't have a photogenic seven-year-old daughter. <laughs> Who's world famous. <laughs> and Anna Winter on their front row. But I, I, there was something that made me feel a bit like maybe it, it was quite planned, which was that on um, Victoria's Instagram stories a few hours after the show, there was a picture which sort of must have been taken by David, where he'd obviously leant back and... Uh, and got a shot of the two pictures. Mm. And unless and unless he really was like, oh, wow, oh, gosh, that's that's so interesting that Harper happens to have the same haircut. I've just noticed that all <laughs> of a sudden. Then I think that might have been on his to-do list for his front row appearance. Is David Beckham into social observation generally on his Instagram? Um, I tell you what I, I, I think we can take out less cynically is that family is very important. I mean, this is what Roland Murray said to me. Um, he's terribly excited that we were excited to see Dave the dog in his show. Dave the dog is his dog. And he, as he, he said to me, it's all about family. Lisa, how is Dave handling the fame? Dave seems to be taking in his trot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, his riders have been quite reasonable. Um, he's very, very sweet, Dave. I mean, sorry, Dave the dog, to give him his is full name. Jack Russell. He's a Jack Russell, yes. And um, he's very well behaved. He was very, he was very... He just, he walked like a true pro. He's been practising. He is a practice. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> See, that's the other thing. I think when, when you get a dog on the catwalk, bingo, every time. There were a few other spectacles as well. I particularly enjoyed um, at Shalayan, models were accompanied uh, by basically people dressed top to toe in black so that they would blend into the background who were fanning them. Yeah. Or some were attached to um, the ends of the model skirts so that they could help them waft Oh, I'd love someone to help me waft. I often think that's a problem. <laughs> Not enough waft. Coming soon to a Kardashian near you. <laughs> Where do we get some? And also uh, at Mother of Pearl, there was a ball pit. You would think, no, no fashion editor is going to jump into a ball pit. We wouldn't want to look silly. Hilary Alexander... Uh, formerly of this parish. <laughs> Swan dove into said ball pit and then, had and then to be disappeared. Out. She was in there for a minute. We all started to worry. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's great that fashion editors would do that. But I, I agree. I was surprised. But do you remember last season, Anya Highmarsh got everyone to put on those kind of white spacesuits and float on a sort of giant, giant pillow. I mean, it really was. It filled an entire ballroom. And this season, Lisa, Anya had the... Um, the Weave Project with people crawling through it. Exactly. And it was like I was there. I witnessed Jefferson Hack, Elizabeth Saltzman. These are all, you know, very cool for school people. <laughs> yeah, they can wait to get into it. It's like a giant soft play area for fashionistas. We, we need more of that. <laughs> we all need to just break free a little... Yeah, we need to yeah, stop being so up ourselves, I think. <laughs> what did you think of Burberry? So this is the second catwalk show uh, from Ricardo Tichy, the new Burberry. I sat next to someone yesterday, a, a very senior fashion writer, who was apoplectic and thought that the youths who were sort of hanging off this kind of barbed wire sort of scaffolding thing that was all around the walls of the room we were sitting in. It was very patronising, she thought, and they were sort of nose-pressed against the luxury of what was going on the outside, or on the runway, rather. 
I thought it looked like a kind of slightly misconceived West Side Story. I mean, it, do you remember all those yeah, scenes of West Side Story when they're rattling the, the big fences in... <laughs> Did you think they were going to break into the at some point? I was hoping they would, <laughs> you know, do some oh, time or something, but mm. no. Um, so I was sitting in this black box of a room thinking, OK, I know new is great and we can't keep harking back to the old, but wasn't it lovely when we used to have those big old Burberry shows in those that transparent tent? You could see sunlight and trees in Kensington Gardens and you'd always get some live music from... Tim Adele or George Ezra or I know that was all that was then and this is now but putting it in a black box seemed a bit senseless it was cold in in every sense and also it just like would look like any other edgy London show I think London what the, the point that you made which I thought was so good was like London needs that that jazzy moment, and if anyone's going to bring that, exactly. it's going to be Burberry. You need I mean, the he, one he, where he, he'd also um, made it a celeb-free zone. Yeah, and and again, Burberry. The, the fun of that show, wasn't it? Was seeing, oh God, there's Andy Murray, there's you know Samantha Cameron, and there's Kira Knightley, or you know, and them all walking. It was a proper kind of red carpet through the park. Yeah, so there was a real arrival, as if it was an awards ceremony. Yeah, it was great. Um, no, so he's got to find his own way. What was? It? But the, the problem I think with that show is that he's trying to do too many things. Appeal to because his te- uh, Ricardo Tisci, the Ital- very nice Italian designer, very talented, and a great anglophile. He's sort of but, but a slightly kind of misty eyed view of of of. Of, of the UK so it's all Aristos and punks and you know it's that old shtick again and so he's trying to appeal to all these tribes and I think it's a very very high wire act and I think he really wobbled this time meanwhile so we didn't know this until we came out and looked at our social media was that the experience we were having in a in the blacked out room was completely different from the next room where the other audience was. We didn't know about this. We didn't know we'd all been siphoned into different areas because you couldn't really see. They were in a much brighter room uh, and I think it was more of a conventional stage. And the idea apparently was for Burberry to see how the different surroundings affected people's reactions. It rather sounds like you were in the punishment room. I was in the anarchy room, apparently, and the other room was the serenity room. But the funny thing is that from although surroundings definitely impact how you feel about a show, I think the reaction to that show, whichever room you're sitting in, seems to be quite muted. That that's that's what I've been hearing. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know, Charlie. What do you think? I sh- it just I didn't love it, and I think obviously it's such a personal thing and that's so subjective you know you look at a show and and what you love and what you want to buy but then equally I can look at Molly Goddard yeah and I don't really have space in my wardrobe for one of those dresses it take up you would need a whole wardrobe I I think I think reviewing obviously it's always going to be filtered through your 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 own take but I don't I mean I never sort of review a show purely on what I would wear because that, no. that would be so narrow, such a narrow way of doing it. Exactly. I think you just have to take it on its own uh, on its own sort of cell and does it meet that? And I think the climate for me now that we're all living in and fashion doesn't exist in a bubble, I just want joy 
from fashion. I want escapism. I want fantasy. Even the most wearable, you know, even Margaret Howell, which I always love that show. And Mm. it's very much the the woman I want to be and the men I want to date in in that show. (laughs) Um, But that's completely wearable. And then you've got complete fantasy at Erdem or Molly. But they are joy-bringing. And you sit there and you watch the show and you're just completely taken with it and in that moment. And I just don't get that feeling with Burberry. No. I mean, luckily, because Burberry, when it came, when they moved the show that here to London in 2009, I think it was, from Milan, it was amazing. It really raised the game. For, it, it changed the game for London Fashion Week, which had always been a really poor relation. I think Burberry has helped nudge so many designers into doing these really beautiful, luxurious, grown-up clothes, like Broxander, like JW, um, like Christopher Kane, like Regina Pio, a new name, a newish name, been around five seasons, I think, on the catwalks, doing really wonderful, incredibly sophisticated colour palette, beautiful pieces, at, a, at, at you know, for fashion designer, um, quite... A, accessible prices but I think there's a a lot of that around now and that you know you could say that's thanks to Burberry in a way so while it would we really really do need Burberry to find its footing again it's it's not as if we don't have other beautiful clothes we can buy from London Fashion Week Fashion Unzipped in association with Tag Heuer Excellence, precision, and elegance. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. And the last day of London was overshadowed completely by the very sad announcement that Karl Lagerfeld has died at 85, we think. His legacy... We know that he's died. <laughs> well, we think, we <laughs> and think we, he's 85. Oh, and his age. Yeah, I think it's the first time that we've ever actually definitely known that that is his age. I quite liked that we didn't know his age. I loved everything <laughs> about him. I mean, Coco Chanel was, um, well, you could either say a, a liar or <laughs> a brilliant self-inventor. And Carl was quite good at self-inventing. In fact, when I look back, just when I was writing the big piece this morning... Um, at an interview I'd done with him in 2007, I think he said, I'm saving a lot. I mean, he, God knows he was spiky and it all came out in interviews. He thought, but he said, there's much, much more and I'm saving it for my autobiography, which is going to come out posthumously. So watch <laughs> the space. <laughs> Cannot wait <laughs> for that. incredibly outspoken, wasn't he? Yes, he didn't care what he said. He was so clever and um, often spoke with quite a lot of sense and honesty. I mean, he could be, you know, he could be... Sp- Spiky and spiteful. I think that we, we there was a quote in the piece he gave me back then saying, I hold grudges forever and you never know when I'm going to take my revenge. I'll come and pull the seat out from under you and it could be years later. I mean, it was quite chilling, wasn't it? Who knows? Who know, yeah, I mean, shivers went down my spine when, um, but I mean, who knows what he's got set up now that he's, now that he's departed. I kind of think that outspoken Carl is is important that we remember that not just his legacy of clothes and oh my gosh I will really 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 miss him because even though he was a bit of a devil <laughs> when you were scheduled to interview him because he could literally keep you waiting a day because he was nocturnal <laughs> and he forgot that the rest of us actually had to kind of get up and be in the office at nine thirty ten. 10 but he was so worth the wait always you always got really really good copy out of him I mean 
The only other designer who's like that now is Tom Ford, who who has his own house, so can say what he wants, really. I mean, Tom is, is more politically correct because he's more... He's from a different era, but he, he he's equally good value. But the rest of them self-censor the whole time. And so even when they say funny, interesting things, they'll then say, oh, my God, this is off the record, yeah. by the way. What I loved about, you know, he had this collection. Was it 50,000 books? And he was so... 500,000. 500,000 probably. Anything. <laughs> In moderation. I mean, even when he was on a diet, he sort of mainlined Diet Coke. (laughs) But he had this spectacular, so well read and everything. But then he'd be happy to comment, you know, sometimes if you are, I was just reading some quotes before we came in. And he was, he he talked about the royal wedding and how he thought everyone looked terrible with their short fat legs. (laughs) And and how he didn't like Pippa Middleton. And a lot of designers of his... um, echelon would you know you almost wouldn't dare to ask them about such kind of gossipy things you know but I love that he had that kind of high low approach he he said what they were all thinking exactly yeah Um, and I and also let's talk about his work because he took this dusty old dowager of a house and sprinkled you know fairy lights on her and she's still dancing four decades on I mean we still all want a Chanel handbag uh, you know the little Chanel sling bag, blah blah blah. I mean, it's so it's still so desirable. And he's the biggest name in fashion. He's the one that you know your relation who's never heard of any designer, any label. Well, I mean, it was telling this morning when when the news broke that I mean there are so few people or fashion designers for whom about three people from the Telegraph's news desk would sort of run over to fashion, a place they very rarely visit yeah. unless they need a new <laughs> pair of tights or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but suddenly, you know, everyone was actually interested in fashion and they and they sort of knew about knew about him and they knew who he was and they recognised that this was a person who had really contributed a lot to fashion so I mean that says and my goodness that work ethic as well because we have to incredible work ethic Chanel Fendi at one point it was four houses he was doing Chloe and his own label as well and he never complained about the workload in fact do you remember when when um when Galliano sort of had his breakdown in 2010 or 11. Carl was actually typically quite scathing about the whole thing and said, you know, stress, stress. Yes, we have stress, but we live like kings, you know, or queens if for the women. You know, I, I thought he was so extraordinary in that sense. I mean, I think if I'm doing a bit of armchair psychology, it was always all about Carl somehow wanting to get the approval of his rather terrifying sounding mother. <laughs> Because Elizabeth, back his mother Elizabeth, apparently said to him when he was six, if you become boring, just you're going to have to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wonder, Brilliant. no wonder he's come out with some of the... Uh, the best quotes. Never boring. Fashion. Never boring. <clears throat> but it does go to show as well. You do get to a certain level. And really, no matter what he said, he was Karl Lagerfeld. So he was kind of allowed to say it. Well, I think... I, I do remember when he had a go at the sacred icon that is Adele and people got very cross about that I mean he could do you know what I think in later years he sometimes slightly would misjudge the sort of the the cultural static and say something that you thought oh Carl no maybe not but 
Um, Especially in recent years, sort of post Me Too and... You know, I think he. Well, I think it's also it's different in France because they have a very different take. On yeah, yeah. Me too. Oh, no, but, but it's more also, like me too. What is he? I think for him to lose two hundred pounds or whatever he lost, so that he could wear, you know, those Hedy Slimane suits, <laughs> he he must have been hungry. When I'm on a diet, he must have thought everyone should have to do this. Hence the I'm, diet coke. I'm doing it. Yeah. Hence the diet coke. But that's why he was always mean about, you know. Oh my god, I love. No he had. The, there was this other time when I said to him, "Do you realise now, Carl, that your look, you know, the the ponytail and the winged collar and everything, powdered hair, uh, and the black fingerless leather gloves, um, you you're, you you you've, you've become a a, a a Halloween sort of staple." And, and one year, I think. Um, Roberto Cavalli dressed up as Carl and, you know, <laughs> tweeted in Instagram to, and Carl said, well, I mean, it's rather brave when you've got his figure, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite easy to ape, though, especially with the white hat now. I'm just wondering how many, um, how many people will be wearing all their Chanel bits and bobs at the shows over the next few weeks. It'll be the equivalent of a black armband, won't it? Well, it's it's really going to dominate yeah. Milan, Fendi and... Well, of course, and it, in Paris at Chanel. I was sort of always dreading this day because he's always been there way before I started in fashion. I, you know, it's like it's like the Queen, and um, and he he was just such a gift to interview, even backstage, even when you were sort of, oh my god, it was a nightmare backstage at Chanel actually because it was such a scrum. But eventually, Carl would um, would emerge with his fan and and fans and. Um, and he would; it would always be worth it. And he would brush off his sort of um, uh, the people surrounding him would say, "Oh, you know, Monsieur Lagerfeld is feeling fatigued now," and he didn't look remotely fatigued. He was always up for a quote. And speaking of the spectacle of Fashion Week that we need as well, Chanel has always been that amazing shows, amazing shows, and the sets. You know, one season it's a rocket ship, then he does a Chanel supermarket or the Eiffel Tower, or you know. I think it was the first design house that I can think of that that has captured that that Instagram social media. You know what we were talking about the the, the Harper Beckham Anna Wintour moment, and knowing that you need to have that. And I think he was also so clever because I think he realised that the heart of that brand was. Everything Coco Chanel had done, right? You know, the bags, the shoes, the jackets, the, the little black dress. And he just did them. He, he, he just repeated those for the next 40 years. He never tried to expunge Coco. He, 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 he had an ego, but he wasn't a crazy egotist. You know, he was savvy enough and so many designers aren't you know they do the archives and then or the, and then they forget about them or they don't do the archives at all well i mean look at new celine exact exactly so he was quite happy in a way to keep sort of reinventing what she had done i think that's all we've got time for join us next week we'll be talking about the latest from milan fashion week Woohoo! <laughs> Hope you packed. Are you kidding? You're not packed. I'm not packed, obviously. No, that's not going to happen. On, so that's good. That's all going to happen right. at <laughs> some point. At some point between eight o'clock this evening and quarter to seven tomorrow morning. 
If you want to join the conversation, email us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk or find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Gowans. Thanks for listening. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860.